So you need to know how to use, how to use all these strategies, like you know, consequences, like cut Wi-Fi and so on and so forth, uh, no more going on your friends. You need to know how to implement all these consequences mm -hmm. with your child such that they don't feel that you're being unfair. Right. They don't feel that you don't understand them. Right. Uh, they have uh, they won't lie to you. Mm. You know, they won't do things behind your back. That's the last thing any any, any parents want, isn't it? That's right. Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online a podcast channel where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. Presented through the lens of the theology of the body, we will see how we can be gifted to our children in ways that will help them find happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Cree and I'm your host for this series. Today we're going to talk about a topic which I'm sure many seasoned parents will be very familiar with, um, managing rebellious teens. Yeah, and to help us with this uh, journey and to accompany us on this journey, we have none other than Mr. Nicholas Lim. Right? Hi, hi. hi Nicholas. Nicholas is a counsellor, psychologist, family therapist, uh, who has had lots of experience in accompanying uh, parents and families on such journeys. So welcome to the show, Nicholas. Thanks for having me, John. Really glad we'll be able to have the opportunity to share with you. Thank you, Nicholas. Yes. So, um, perhaps uh, for the benefit of our listeners, would you like to give a brief introduction of yourself, uh, what you do, your work, your family, and so on? Mm, sure. Um, so, I'm Nicholas. I'm 45 this year. That's um, young. Yeah. <laughs> I'm married with a beautiful wife, Jerry, with three kids. The oldest is uh, 12 this year, followed by 11 and then 8. Two boys and one girl. Uh, in my profession, I worked as a psychologist for the past uh, 20 years. Uh, I work primarily with uh, uh, vulnerable adolescents and their families. Um, yeah, and uh, this work has brought me to many places, so to speak. I have, I've worked in not only in Singapore, uh, but also overseas like India, Vietnam, uh, but also in places like uh, the prisons here, in mm -hmm. the residential homes for uh, adolescents, vulnerable ones, uh, and also within the community setting and obviously the church. Mm, well, sounds like quite a journey you've been through. Mm, yeah, yeah, meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, praise God for that. Praise okay, God. so we've got the right guy. Okay, okay so um, I think this is a rather common scenario, right, in our families, you know, um, rebellious teens. I mean, mm. I, I went through that phase as a rebellious teen myself, right? And uh, Same here. That, there was a phase when I was like that, and uh, my goodness, did I give my parents some heck? <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds familiar, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, but thank God my parents forgave me for, for my uh, juvenile insolence, yeah? yeah. Okay, but uh, I guess this is not uncommon uh, that we see, um, you know, this uh, phenomenon of, uh, of uh, having rather rebellious teens in our homes, and uh, sometimes parents finding it difficult to handle the situation, mm. uh, myself included, you know. So perhaps as a start, could you uh, share with us what are the possible factors that could give rise to teenagers becoming rebellious in the first place, you know? Mm. Yeah. Okay, so a very quick background, John. Um, my work is actually guided by neuroscience, mm. right? Why neuroscience? Because I feel that's the most evidence-based for me. Sure. Uh, meaning to say that uh, if I were to... Uh, take some brain images and I look at the images, uh, I'll be able to see very distinctly why we behave the way we behave. So as a psychologist, obviously I want to know uh, why we behave in a certain way and more so the clientele that I primarily work with, which is young people. Mm. right? So uh, in my work over the years uh, and also in the reading of the literature, uh, I find that actually there's something different right, between the adults and uh, young people, right, teenagers. Uh, and yeah, believe it or not, my brain is slower now. Yeah, uh, 
you know, neuroscience informs us if you expose a stimuli to an adult and uh, an adolescence, right? Uh, say something that is uh, fearing, uh, uh, something that is, it will invoke some anger, for example. Uh, two parts of the brain will light up for the for the adults. Uh, primarily, this place called the prefrontal cortex and the, the limbic uh, system. Right. Right? But for the young person, only the limbic system lights up. Mm -hmm. So that informs me that, hey, we, we are concerned about certain things. The young person actually thinks or responds very differently from the adults. Yes. Right? So as a result of that, the factors you asked about uh, is a lot. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, so that's, from a, that's already one point of view from a neuroscience perspective. Uh, other psychological theories informs us developmentally, they be, may be seeking out different things at different space of their life. Uh, so the factors could be that of uh, developmental needs. Right? Yeah. So... There's two already for you, developmental needs. Uh, uh, neuroscience informs us that developmentally in the brain, neurologically speaking, is very different. So you can imagine the rate at which we, uh, our brain develops is so different, yeah. right, among many others. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure we will we'll chance upon it later on as well. Yes, yes. I think uh, yeah. um, I understand that the prefrontal, uh, prefrontal cortex probably develops, uh, matures probably at about 25, there about yeah, first about minus. Yeah, the science yeah. informs us, yes. Yeah. So before that, be prepared for a journey. Yes, about 10 years, so about 10 years. Yeah, mm. that's right. Okay, yeah. we've gone through that, so mm -hmm. more or less we know what has happened. Correct. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, so uh, would you like to share with us what are the factors that can contribute besides these two, right? Uh, what else can uh, contribute to our teenagers becoming so rebellious, you know, in our own homes? And mm. we think we have given them whatever we can as parents, and mm. yet they still behave this way, so to speak. Yeah, there you go. You just pointed out, we think that we have given them yes. everything, you know? Uh, so that's basically where we are at as adults. We think rationally a lot of times first, and that is very, very normal, very natural. Uh, because uh, as 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 adults, we are fully developed at the prefrontal, and the function of that, that that brain part is is primarily responsible for thinking ahead, think of the consequences, right? So like pointed out, if we knew that our kids were not studying ahead of time, not doing their homework. We naturally would think that okay, the consequence would be that of you will fail your exam, you will not be able to make the mark, and so mm -hmm. and so forth. That's the function of the prefrontal cortex, yes. right? <coughs> but the limbic system is fully developed at the, at the onset of puberty, right? So all young people will be fully quote unquote thinking from the limbic system. Not that they cannot think from the prefrontal is developing. That's right. Right. So uh, we now will begin to appreciate the fact that because they think through the limbic system, which is primarily responsible for things like making meaning, right? Regulating the uh, hormone systems, mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, memories, right? Mm -hmm. This is the function of the limbic system. So given a, for example, same thing, homework, right? Uh, what would be meaningful for them? If it was not meaningful for them, they would quote unquote think that it was not necessary, mm -hmm. but they would not automatically, automatically think that it will impact their grades at that point in time. Not that they cannot appreciate that because right. usually uh, parents will always give them a heads up many times over, right. sometimes too many. Uh, and the kids will say, ah, stop nagging mom, stop nagging dad. Yeah, you know, yes, sounds thing, familiar, yes. Sounds very familiar, right? Yes, yes. But uh, then we wonder why do they not appreciate what we are trying to help them appreciate. Mm -hmm. But they, at that point in time, they are just, because maybe their friends are online, maybe it's more meaningful to basically mm -hmm. go out, for yeah. example. So obviously they will respond accordingly. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, uh, therefore, the, 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 the clash of the mind, I call it, right? Uh, so, I wrote a book about this, the clash of the mind, because of my 20 years of work. Mm -hmm. And I, I illustrate and even uh, describe mm -hmm. the difference 
uh, of approach between the adult and the child. Yes. And the constant clash because yeah. the child, the, the adult is constantly coming from the prefrontal. Yes. And natural, no, I mean, no fault of parents. Yeah. Right? Uh, no fault of the, the child as well mm -hmm. because they are primarily coming from the limbic space. That's right. right? So uh, even if they are bored, even if they are angered or frustrated, quote unquote, they are thinking, considering all mm -hmm. factors, mm -hmm. right? all from the limbic space. Right? Right. But if the parents are thinking, of how then? How then can we then help them appreciate and learn? Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, they'll like their future will be all gone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, th then take take hope because uh, there is a way to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always tell parents, don't lose hope because it's, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. It's how to do it. That's right. Right. So, for example, I work a lot with people who are gaming. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, parents know a lot of things. They were like. Uh, withdraw credits, refrain from giving them the credits, you know, cut Wi-Fi, you know, they kind of think, okay, these are all the what, right? But it's a question of how you implement the what. Yeah, but if, in my experience, I think the kids know how to get around all these and of they're course. a lot smarter than us. A lot, a yeah. lot of it, right? But, but, but to discipline them, parents always wonder, right? But I, I need to instill discipline. I, I need to help them uh, manage their own priorities. Of course, you need to do that. They don't know any better. That's right. <laughs> so you need to know how to use, how to use all these strategies, like, you know, consequences, like cut Wi-Fi and so on and so forth, uh, no more going on your friends. You need to know how to implement all these consequences mm -hmm. with your child such that they don't feel that you're being unfair. Right. They don't feel that you don't understand them. Right. Uh, they have, uh, they won't lie to you. Mm. You know, they won't do things behind your back. That's the last thing any, any, any parents want, isn't it? That's right. Right? right. So it's about how to actually engage the child such that the child will offer the information to you, mm -hmm. feel that you understand what I'm trying to do or trying to achieve, and I offer this information to you, and then we can work together. Right. Right. So what we've heard so far, it seems like, um, number one, understand the development uh, where our child is at, yep. uh, at this stage of his or her life. Yep. Number two, understand the needs that our child will have at that point in, uh, of their lives. Yep. Right? And number three, then uh, learn how to uh, negotiate with them or to work around it in such a way that we would be able to achieve outcomes that both of us are comfortable with and using means and methods that both agree with. Yes. And that's that correct. the teen will feel comfortable with. Yes. yes. So correct. perhaps you could share with us some of these uh, uh, secrets then. Mm. The secrets of the trade. Secrets of the <laughs> Yes. As to how to manage them in this way, yeah. Mm. So maybe, because you mentioned a few of the items, right? And uh, like For example, understanding. Right? So um, uh, I will always propose using a limpid way to achieve understanding. Right? So, I mean, give a good example. Maybe say gaming. Right? Uh, if the child was actually gaming at this point in time, right, and um, uh, and and the parents are families actually waiting downstairs to actually uh, for the child to come down because there was already a a, a communicated understanding that we would have dinner together, right, right, uh, but waited for a long time, not coming down yet, mm -hmm. not coming out of the room and going to the dining table, mm -hmm. wait five ten minutes, still not, right, mm -hmm. right, uh, so in the worst case situation, one of the parents get up go to the room, shout at the child, and say, have oh, you been waiting so long? I've been waiting for like 30 minutes, so why are you not coming out? Right? Uh, no understanding. Right? Uh, leave me alone. Uh, the child probably shout. 10 minutes more, 10, 10 minutes, minutes more. more. Exactly, 10 minutes <laughs> Can't more. Can't you yeah. wait? It's Can't just 10 wait. minutes more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the question here is, how come no understanding? We, uh, we, I thought we established this already. Yeah. Then the parents are frustrated. Yeah. Right? So in this kind of scenario, how do you establish understanding? Do you go into the, in, into the room and demand the understanding, 
and therefore we are actually having like waiting for dinner everybody's there demand that you come out you go in there and you, you need just unplug the power power cable and just shut down the whole computer uh, do you sounds like trouble sounds yeah. like trouble yeah. well, what do you do mm-hmm. right like, so knowing that the child is limbic first at that point in time you try to establish and uh, uh, the understanding I spoke to you earlier we are all waiting for you get out right now I think it's not going to work mm-hmm. right uh, I propose that because the child is totally not going to comply uh, having already tried you know a few times inviting the child to the dining table uh, you should just go ahead and have your dinner, you know, uh, and finish the dinner, uh, wipe everything out, you know, clean the dining table and everything else. Uh, and just parents might be difficult to do that. I was about to propose, just don't leave any dinner for the child. <laughs> but if you want to, you can. <laughs> I would be very tempted to do that. Yes. <laughs> right, but the point, the point here, why are we trying to do but it? My wife might be listening in. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, uh, so it's up to the parents, right? Uh, how would they choose to respond? But the point here is how are we going to help the child learn mm-hmm. the consequences of his or her action given that there was a prior conversation, right? Uh, and what kind of approach would you take thereafter to help with the understanding of the family situation? That's the question here, understanding, given this context. Right? So, guided by neuroscience, at the end of the day, if the child was angry or frustrated or fully engaged, fully lighted up with the limbic system, the last thing you want to do is to be limbic about it. Right. Like, for example, how dare you? We already agree on all these kind of things. Get out of the room or you go down there and you like pull out a power plug. That's the last thing any adult, any parent want to do. Mm-hmm. Because in our line of work, limbic and limbic approach together, it's lose-lose situation. Yes. Right? Yeah, so what instead we want to do is to play into a limbic space where the child is more than happy to listen to you, right? Find a day later on in the night or another day to say, hey, look, uh, we had an agreement yesterday. Uh, we are unhappy about uh, the situation. We would like to talk, right? Uh, can we have some time to talk? Uh, in that space, when the child is a bit more calm, not limbically engaged, uh, may not be angry or flustered up, you communicate the scenario, the situation, mm. and express the dissatisfaction, mm. uh, how the situation is unacceptable. Mm. Uh, uh, reiterate certain family uh, house rules, mm-hmm. for example, and say that, look, if this happens again, uh, this is what we are planning to do. Uh, what do you think about that? Right? Mm. Uh, and, and given the same scenario, for example, like, uh, don't leave any dinner. This mm. would have been communicated in the conversation. Right. right? And if that was agreed, uh, you should just execute it. And then the child would uh, know what to do, and and maybe the child will now have to like start counting the demerit points, so to speak, you know, and and know how to put himself into place thereafter mm-hmm. to start beginning to respect the family, you know, or or uh, step up in the household, whatever it is. Or he might choose to order some grab food in. Exactly. Have his own food. Exactly. But see, the point here is to establish the understanding. It only <coughs> it's, it, it, it it takes a certain approach to help the child understand. But if you were to insist or establish an understanding where the child is actually com- uh, playing the computer game, fully engaged with all his seven, eight friends online at that point in time, you're not going to get it. Yeah. You're definitely not going to get it, right? So it seems that uh, what, you're propose- uh, what you're proposing so far would be a very reasonable option, which is for parents to recognize that when one is emotional, that is not the time to engage uh, your child. 
you're, right? you're thinking right. quote-unquote from the limbic, right? That's right, from the yeah. limbic point of view, right? So once you're emotional, once you're limbic, okay, that's it. Stay away, uh, let matters calm down, mm -hmm. and then choose a time where both of you can agree to sit down and talk together. Yeah. And during the time, agree that you would talk about it from a very uh, logical point of view without getting too emotional and definitely uh, without raising the decibels in the conversation, mm. right? Mm. And then I think um, when that is done, it will probably help the child realize better that you're doing it for his or her good mm. and not uh, as an emotional reaction to mm. your own need that was not satisfied. Yes, that's right. right? And, and following from that, like for example, don't raise the tone. It's also a strategy because if you raise your tone, you're heightening your limbic engagement, mm. right? Uh, and the child is going to be defensive. And, and the third strategy is basically the kind of questions you ask, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, you may not want to ask, why were you behaving like that way? Right. As opposed to, what is it that made you do this way? Because we already had a prior conversation, mm. right? Mm. Uh, allow for room to uh, enable the child to explain himself or herself, mm -hmm. right? Uh, this is a third way of actually trying to establish that understanding, mm -hmm. right? So that the child... Uh, it's not put in a position where straight away they go into a limbic. Actually, we want to have them go into the prefrontal so that they would say, oh, okay, what I did was actually not inappropriate, mm -hmm. right? So <clears throat> in neuroscience terminology, we want to help uh, connect this neural pathways between the limbic and the prefrontal. Mm -hmm. So the more the adults can do that, we are, we are like, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a habit, mm -hmm. a behavior that you constantly mm -hmm. do it, right? Mm -hmm. We keep asking them to go to the prefrontal, what made you do that? Mm -hmm. And they use the prefrontal faculty to consider mm -hmm. the consequences mm -hmm. or the scenarios. Mm -hmm. The more you do that, the better it is next time, mm -hmm. they'll be able to like, oh, this is not respectful. Mm -hmm. This is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And then they will, in your absence, automatically respond in that mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. right? But you, you cannot expect after having that one conversation, you expect that tomorrow, if it happens again, the child will ultimately be respectful towards you, or mm. the, the child will, uh, will appreciate the situation in which you are in. Right. Until they are repeated. Right. It's just behavior, right? Conditioning behavior. Right. So the more you be able to condition the, the, the desired behavior, you reinforce it over and over again by many means, right? From like uh, uh, affirming praises, you know, or going out for ice cream, you know, having a talk about it again, and then say, hey, I know this done today. Or oh, just now earlier, you actually give it some thought to your mom and go and help her wash the the the, the dishes, right? Uh, you affirm that you you catch them doing good. We call it like this is one of the another strategies. You catch them doing good, mm. so you reinforce repeatedly the behaviors that's desired, right? And over time, they'll automatically just get into mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So it seems like we need to have good communication with them, which is clear, uh, concise. And at the same time, we have to be also clear about the consequence, the cease, right? The boundaries. Uh, and boundaries. Yeah. And we have to be consistent in implementing them. Yes. You know, and not go according to our mood. Oh, today I feel good. Okay, okay, you can do whatever you want. But uh, another day, I, I'm quite grumpy because of what happened at work and therefore I'm coming mm -hmm. down hard on you kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a tall order though. Yeah. While consistency is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, because we're also human. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> at absolutely. the end of the day, like today, if I had a hard day at work, and for example, I need to be consistent by like yesterday, you know, and yeah, not day before, right. right? Wow, it's very, you know, it's a high you another day. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, I cannot bring myself to talk to you, you know. I can't bring yourself to talk to me again. Yeah. So if that's the case, don't have to beat yourself. And this is talking to the parents, right? You don't have to beat yourself for it. Right? This, you, this yourself, you're tired. Yeah. Right? The least you could do is just say, look, I'm unhappy right now. I'm very tired. I mm -hmm. need, we need to have this conversation. Right? Right. Just go to your room. I'll do your own thing. I'll talk right. to you about it another day. Right. And then you just go do your own thing. 
I think what you brought up just now is very important and very uh, uh, necessary, which is affirmation. Mm. You know, very often um, as parents, we forget to affirm the good okay. that our kids have done right. and the good qualities that they have um, exhibited. That's right. uh, quite often, we are more uh, likely to catch the negative behaviours and, and reprimand them for it or even uh, discipline them for yeah. it or you know, things like that, but we forget to affirm. Yes. I think that's the thing that many of us forget. Very true. true. Yes, very true, very true. So, uh, even to a point where uh, a school in particular in Singapore actually instituted this whole approach of catching them doing good all around the school, you know, mm -hmm. and they continue doing that, right? Uh, and I think more so for us at home, you know, where it's actually the, the most safe unit mm -hmm. for having to uh, reinforce, develop, you know, uh, positive behaviour or desired behaviour, mm -hmm. retroful behaviour, right? Mm -hmm. We want to constantly be catching our kids doing good the desired behaviour, mm. meaning to say if you hope that your child will be more respectful or, or, or uh, putting the laundry to the laundry basket or putting mm. your shoe as you come back, putting into the shoe cabinet, for example, right? right? The desired behaviour, mm -hmm. right? Then you want to catch them. Once they do that, then you affirm them, right? Whatever it may be, you know, like managing their time, doing mm. their homework, on their own accord, taking their own initiative, catch them doing good. As opposed to like, why are you not doing your homework again? You know, like, oh, I noticed you actually did your homework just now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing that uh, we parents tend to uh, say quite often, unfortunately, is why are you always like that? <laughs> why do you always do this? Uh, why do you always give us trouble like that? Guilty, guilty as charge. Guilty as charge, yeah, that's right. So I think it's something that we parents, we, we learn from experience as well, our own experience and uh, yeah. trial and error, you know, and I think um, over time we've realised, okay, these are not the things that we should be saying to yeah. our kids at any time. Yes. Right? Yes, so yeah. just um, catch the behaviour in a sense, uh, reward, affirm good behaviour, um, talk about the bad behaviours and also help them to then gradually process um, and connect the limbic and the prefrontal systems mm. uh, to help them realise what the consequences are of certain actions yeah. and then from there hopefully we will be able to help them then develop the virtues. Mm. Here comes the catch, right? All these things are have to keep growing, have to keep, have to keep doing That's right. for a good like what 10 years I mentioned earlier. Why, why I mentioned 10 years is because Assuming at the onset of pu puberty, uh, that's where the limbic system is fully developed. That's about what for 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 boys is about like eleven, twelve years old. We know, right? Uh, and girls is a lot earlier, nine, ten years old, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that's fully developed uh, limbic system. Right? Give it ten years on uh, fully developed prefrontal. We're talking about twenty five, right? Uh, <clears throat> so it, it so depends on families uh, to families, right? So for example, what affects the rate of uh, maturing of the brain? Like things like uh, nutrients, uh, the things that you eat, you know, uh, your environment, whether or not it's uh, uh, conducive enough for the brain to develop. Or an extreme case would be if a child was actually in an environment constantly worrying about his or her safety. There's a lot of violence at home, a lot of abuse at home, for example. It's harder for the brain to develop positively, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the rate, so in that sense, it affects the rate mm -hmm. of, of, of uh, maturing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so therefore, we, we need to be patient with ourselves, patient with the child, right? Because the rate of learning is different for every child, right? So we cannot expect that, oh, oh, you're already 16 years old, you're already 20 years old already, right? You should be able to know all this kind of thing, right? Uh, sometimes it's just different. And there's so many things to learn in our lives, from relationships to uh, parenting, you know, to whatever it is, right? Uh, so many things. So we got to manage our own expectations. So therefore, <clears throat> knowing that roughly give and take a 10-year window would be what I call a window of learning opportunity. A window of learning or a window of opportunity. Every time when things don't work out the way in which uh, you hope it will work out or the child repeatedly you feel is not learning the mm -hmm. things that he or she should be learning, mm -hmm. right? Do you want to be 
frustrated about why am I doing so many things with it, but I'm still not getting it, I'm still not seeing it, I still worry and worry that kind of thing, right? Uh, don't have to do that. As long as you know, hand on heart, you have done, is taught enough, I think the next step, especially when they enter secondary school, teenage years, uh, the focus will be then to give them the opportunity to practice what you have taught. That means you talk less, la, mm. because earlier years in primary school, you teach a lot, la. you say a lot of things, generally speaking. La, huh? But by the time they reach uh, adolescence, uh, teenage years, secondary school, they want to be with their friends. Now, you don't want to let go because this is the time it really you need to be there to supervise their, what they call exploration. Mm. They're learning to uh, individuate, we call them, right? So you want it to be safe. So ask questions a lot. What, what made you want to do this? What you want to, uh, uh, why would you decide this and that, right? Help them to go into the prefrontal to consider their options, right? Um, inculcate or cultivate opportunities of always coming back to ask you about things. How do you cultivate that? Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, and you have a 10-year window to watch them, execute it. Some of them may be wrong, but how do you facilitate unlearning or relearning mm -hmm. and keep going back and forth? Okay, well, mm -hmm. Until such time you have this habit form, right. Right? the neural pathway that's being formed, such that in your absence, they will execute the behaviours or thought processes mm -hmm. uh, that are positive, conducive, safe for them, right, to, 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 to deal with the world, to manage the relationships. Right? So it seems that uh, it is very important to provide the right factors, the right environment for them yeah. to grow, not even, not just during the teenage years, but way before that, right? Mm -hmm. So perhaps, uh, would you like to share with us some of the positive factors that we can um, put in place in the family, um, from our marital relationships, our relationship with our children, and to mm -hmm. the physical environment and physical foods, perhaps even that... Uh, mm. they are exp that we expose them to, mm. what can we do then to uh, promote this positive environment for them to flourish in? Mm. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier really about the food, uh, the nutrition, right? Uh, this for the purposes of helping the child develop um, uh, in a way that will enhance brain learning, whole brain learning, we call it, right? So that's one. Uh, obviously, from family to family, resources vary. Right, well, nonetheless, we uh, look out for what the child consumes, right? So that's, that's one. The other one is their, their environment, meaning to say when they're at home, how conducive is this for them to make mistakes, right? Uh, how do we uh, look at mistakes? How do we talk about mistakes? Mm -hmm. uh, how would do we, as a result of that, uh, uh, the potential of making mistakes, how do we encourage them to come back to us? talk about it without fearing that, oh, if I talk about this, uh, this is something that's going to be like, you know, done to me or whatever. So now they begin to like be alert every time when that happens. How do you uh, cultivate an environment where it's okay or safe for me to come and talk to you about whatever I feel mm. that I'm talking about? Mm. Uh, obviously, the parental relationship also matters, right? Because how much uh, mum and dad align with each other, right? So, uh, are there household rules, for example? Are they uh, on the same page on that one? Right. Sometimes dad may have one household rules, but mom has another household rules. So this gives the child an opportunity to what we call triangulate the parents or play one parent against the other. Right? Uh, if parents are not communicating well, then if they don't even check in with the other parent, uh, then they'll, they'll take the parent for a ride. Then they will, you know, what we call sometimes assume the power, quote-unquote, in the relationship or in the family situation uh, where they uh, try to do things the way they feel is right, get what they want, but affect the relationship. Yeah, it's a very common tactic. Very mm. common tactic. Yeah, so which is why one of the things I've learned to say to my children every time they ask about mm. something, mm. and my common answer would be, what did mum say? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, check right. back your mum. Never yeah. contradict your wife. Yes. <laughs> or vice versa. Actually. Or vice versa, yeah, yeah that too, yeah. So, yeah. so I think what they've brought yeah. up so far is um, so important, right? And uh, if I may summarize it, it'll be like the ABCs, uh, you know? Mm. A is to affirm our children mm. uh, appropriately. B is to really be there for them. Right? Mm. Just be there so that we can actually be there for them and with them in good times and in bad times, mm. yeah? Uh, C is to communicate with them well and provide the safe space for them to be able to be confident mm. in expressing themselves to us so that we can uh, know what's happening in their lives and be able to journey with them mm-hmm. through their life from young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you mentioned this thing about the discipline, being mm-hmm. consistent in our discipline as a mm-hmm. husband and wife is very important. And then um, being empathetic towards how they are feeling mm-hmm. with all the limbic system uh, mm-hmm. being overcharged and everything and mm-hmm. the prefrontal context not being well developed. Yeah. And finally, of course, forgiveness. Lah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because uh, things sure sure to go wrong. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I mean, I've made mistakes as a parent many times. Yes. Right? Yes. And I, I've had to ask for forgiveness yes. from my wife and from my children too. Yes, yes. Nicely framed, John. Yeah. Maybe for a comment about this uh, forgiveness thing that you have, like working with uh, our kids, there's this thing called developmental forgiveness. Right? So what you mean by this is this. Because they are always limbic first uh, and they, they can be very limbically charged. Uh, so sometimes they take to heart a lot of things that uh, we, well, rationally think that there's nothing to it, but they are obviously taking to heart, uh, and it sometimes burdens them. Maybe they feel like uh, angered, they feel like unfair, unjust, that kind of thing, right? Uh, so as an adult or somebody who has fully developed prefrontal, we say, I mean, I didn't do anything wrong, what? I don't have to say uh, sorry, uh, that kind of thing, or don't ask for forgiveness, you know. But for a child, especially younger children. Right, uh, it's important for them to hear it. Right, uh, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Right, that's why I say it's developmental apology, developmental forgiveness, meaning to say, it's what they need at that point in time for their limbic to exalt, be connected to the situation, to you, to recognize that it's okay even if I'm wrong. But you still love me, or you're still there for me. So you're still present. It's unconditional love, right? So yeah, but it, but you can't say it, you see, yes. because they need to feel it mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. actually to understand it. Mm-hmm. But when you have an opportunity later on, maybe even later on when they grow up, for example, you want to always articulate that, right? Uh, such that they now register it even better, deeper, uh, uh, more appropriate, because developmentally they are more able to understand uh, what was all that about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's okay to offer uh, apology. It's okay to seek forgiveness for the purposes of uh, attending to them developmentally. The younger they are, the more we want to be open to doing that. Yeah. Mm. Very good. Well, it looks like it's uh, been a very, very uh, interesting and uh, exciting conversation we've been having. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Nicholas. Now, yes. perhaps um, before we end this episode, I'm wondering whether you have any other tips you'd like to share with our Catholic parents, you know? And I think um, besides what we've discussed so far, also from the um, uh, points of view of uh, practicing our faith in the family, you know, which is uh, so vital and so important, right? When we need God at the center of our lives. So I think A, B, C, D, E, F, now we have G, right? We need God in our lives, you know, to really uh, guide our family through. Because there's, in my experience, there have been so many times and there have been so many, in a sense, um, so-called conflicts that I I'm not able to handle. Mm. And all I can do is sit down, not sit down, kneel down and really mm. ask the Lord to guide and to be there for our family and to really mm. make things go right again. Because mm. it's really beyond us sometimes. It is. It, it's actually a lot of times beyond us, you know. Because our, our kid will grow up, even when they are a child, they are their own person. You know, so uh, in the context of our discussion, uh, appreciating the limbic and the prefrontal, uh, 
I, I was thinking as Catholic parents as well to help our child experience the faith more because they are primarily limbic. Right? Again, they are not, not to say they are not prefrontal. They are able to activate the prefrontal, but at that point in time, at the moment, instinctually, they are always limbic first. Right? How can they make sense of their faith applied into family life, applied into school, applied into relationships? Right? That needs to be caught more than taught. Right? Uh, so how to make them feel that actually this is my faith in action? Right? Uh, so one example could be that the, if, if the developmental apology was understood, uh, seeking forgiveness, offering that, then th- this could be a possibility that the child felt the forgiveness of Christ. Right? Uh, more than to be taught about having to forgive my siblings or forgive each other. Right? Uh, because they felt it and, and being so burdened by the mistakes you know, that they've done uh, or you have unknowingly created that unhappiness right, and you offered that, that developmental apology, I think the child will remember a lot more strongly than having to remember the times that you taught them to be forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so uh, mindful of the fact that they are always limbic first, how can we express our God experience mm-hmm. in the felt way? Very, very important. I think um, this reminds me of something that happened in, in my teenage years when I was rebellious. And yeah. one time my, my mom actually said, you know, John, I'm not too sure what got into you. Um, but whatever it is, just remember, I will always love you no matter what. Mm. And up to today, that hit me. Mm. That hit me very hard. Mm. All right? And it was, actually, that was, I would say, my turning point. Mm. When I realized that my, uh, my mother actually loved me no matter what, despite my horrendous behavior as a teenager. Mm. You know? And mm. I think that really uh, helped so much. And like you said, you know, to, that we experience Christ's forgiving love through our parents. Mm. And I think that helped a lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. Right. And you will always remember for the rest of your life. Yeah, because yeah. they are always limbic first. Yes. How can we help them feel yes. that? Yes. Catch that. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Nicholas. I think it's been a very, very, very rewarding time with you. And I'm sure many of our listeners, Catholic parents, would have benefited from the, this uh, podcast. Yes. Yeah. So, dear friends, we thank you very much for joining us uh, this uh, episode where we interviewed uh, Mr. Nicholas Lim on the how to manage our teenagers when they are rebellious, right? So, I hope uh, and I trust... Uh, and pray that uh, this would have given us a lot more ammunition as parents to be able to uh, handle this rather challenging and difficult period of our lives. But with God's grace, we can do it. So thank you very much, Nicholas, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we look forward to having you again. Okay, so till we meet again, take care and God bless you and the family always. Bye for now.